I was I was looking. I wanted to mention. Let's see. Last week. Um, let's see which where that note is. Uh, last week I was trying to be consistent with my um my my turns, but we talked about um breadcrumb trails and distracting rabbit trails, and I just mentioned that you know this morning because as you know as we as we look at unpacking you know a text um you know different paragraphs or so of the text um unfold in a different way and um and i felt like you know when when i say rabbit trails um there's there's a time you know i mentioned that there's a time when people chase rabbits and they're just trying to um to um I guess, pull the wool over your eyes or convince you of something. Um, but when Jesus is doing it, that's never the reason he's doing it. But what it does when you're reading the Bible is um, um, sometimes we can get focused on one particular thing that, that we don't see how all the things intricately um, work together. And so as I unpack this one, um, we'll have a lot of that. So we'll just kind of walk through it and I'll try to kind of you know, put some of the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, we'll be in, in John 17 verses 20 to 26 this morning, but I'm going to give you a few words. Um, I, I stopped at five. There's probably one or two more. Um, but the, the five that I, I wanted us to kind of see how they, they, um, uh, how the, how the pieces, um, come together is glory, one, stint, no, and love. And, you know, um, so glory is, you know, we'll see that throughout the whole chapter 17. We'll look at that. But I think if there's any one that sticks out that really kind of brings a theme home this morning is um, I would say that this paragraph we addressed this this morning is probably the richest biblical text. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm going to I'm going to put it at least as the candidate there as the richest big biblical text of explaining what being one in you know, in one another as Christians and one in Christ is. I think he he really gives us a lot of lines and um and ideas about what being being one in him and him being one in, in God and all that unity um um there. So we'll see that as a as a major theme this morning. But like I said, um through all of 17 he used the word glory in a in a significant way. Through all of John, I've mentioned to you before and before about how the word sent is used and it's significant. And he ends this with one of the, the most key things in, in our faith is, is love. And he also uses no. And and I'll, I'll kind of talk as this chapter ends up about how I think no actually is very in, um, um, connected with, with love. So those will be the last two you know things that we'll look at. So um, let's look at the text here um, in 17, make sure I'm keyed up there, 17, 20, verse 20. Um, I'll read a few verses here and we'll just kind of go um, phrase by phrase here. Um, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through this word. So one of the reasons we broke this in three parts is as you watch the flow of John 17, you kind of see Jesus kind of 
in one sense, talking about itself, himself, not totally talking about himself, but he starts with kind of talking about himself. And then he moves in verse 11, talking about the apostles. And then here in 20, he moves talking about um, the people that are going to be a product from essentially the apostles or from essentially that ministry. So when we're thinking of time frames, um, we talked a little bit about this, I believe, last week, is that he's ready in the apostles to do something. And in one sense, the way we can see that, if we see Jesus as the chief cornerstone and we see the apostles as laying the foundation, when we talk about the foundation, the chief cornerstone is the first stone that's laid and the, the rest of the foundation that's connected to the chief cornerstone creates the whole foundation. After the foundation is laid, people build upon that. So what we see is we see the apostles working through sort of some stages stages of understanding. Um, in John 16, 28, we see them say, oh, we finally understand because you're not speaking in figurative language. So up to that point, as Jesus had interact with them, he spoke with them in somewhat of a mysterious language um, that, that in 1628, he said, there is a time coming is here now that we will, I will not speak to you in figurative, but I'll speak plainly. Well, when he does that, there's such an aha moment that they're like, we know that you don't even need anyone to ask you a question. And they, they, they come to this place of like, you are awesome. You are amazing. We know you have got it all figured out. But then he turns around and instead of saying, man, I'm glad you came to the team and you're, you're on board. He says, all of you are going to be scattered from me. You know, all of you are going to go your own way. And, and here at a moment of them being so confident and, and, and who they have before them and who they're connected to, he, he, he predicts and it is fulfilled that they find such fear in the next moments that, that when Jesus is, is being persecuted and on trial, they're, they're nowhere to find to be, be able to, to defend him. Um, but what happens is Acts 2 happens and everything evolves and different things. Christ dies. He, um, he, he is rose from the dead and between the resurrection and the ascension um, in Luke 24, it tells you, it tells us that he goes back through the law of Moses and all the prophets and he, he better fully under, you know, communicates to them, but yet still what they, he tells them his last instructions. He tells them is to wait in the city until they're endued with power on high. Well, what you see is you see um, them picking Matthias. And if you watch through that, that's actually an action that they're doing before they're endued with power on high. So when Acts 2 happens and 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 they the, the Holy Spirit comes, then Peter is empowered to speak in a different way, in a more fulfilled way, and like 5,000 people get saved. And then later on, we see that they were they were constantly learning from the teachings of the apostles. And so in the book of Acts, we see this foundation, you know, being, being laid. And so back to our text this morning, I, I say all that to say this to our introduction of our text this morning. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so that's that's the audience we're coming to now. Jesus has talked about, you know, he's, he said, Lord, I'm coming to you. I've done the works you've asked me to do. I've given um, 
these that that you've given me, I've given them your word and they have accepted it. They're not like all these other people that rejected the, the word. They know that you have have um, sent me. He then goes on in the next section from chapters 11 to 19. I mean, verses 11 to 19. He says that he kept them with the name God gave him and he and he is essentially sanctified them and conformed them into where they need to be through the word of, of God. And so he's he's speaking to the apostles in these verses 11 and 19 in, in one sense. But now he's transitioning to what we've kind of come back and forth um, a few times is, is he talking to the apostles or is he talking to all disciples? And sometimes it's some of some of both. It just takes prayer and discernment to understand it. You don't want to take away all the, all the power. There are some universal things that he did with the original apostles that he's still doing with everybody that's trusted upon him to, you know, today, um, you know, through all of, all of time from there to, to from, from then to now, um, but, but as we look at these principles, we don't want to be, um, two, you know, it just saying we're in 2000, we don't want to be narcissistic in that everything Jesus ever said is all about me. We want to realize that there was an original audience, but, 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 you know, I think the way I said it last time is we don't want to take away too much power, but we want to, we just want to realize, you know, who we are in Christ in that sense. So. Getting, getting back to the text, the one other verse I did want to mention that I thought of when I looked at this is um is if you go to John 20, which I know that's skipping ahead, but John 24 to 29, it's it's the story of Thomas when Thomas um is saying, unless I put my finger in in his his um his side and his hand, I won't believe. But I'm just gonna point out for time's sake the last verse. In 29 of that paragraph story about Thomas, he says, Jesus said to him, have you, be have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, I think this addresses the same audience. I mean, when we're thinking about what does this have to do with us today, 2,000 years later, from the apostles laying, laying the foundation, um, Jesus is speaking in his prayer to us at this point, but he's also, when he's talking to Thomas, he's throwing this caveat that's speaking to all the generations that will come to believe because of their word. He's speaking to them and he's saying, you know, Thomas, you're on the front line here and you believe because you've seen me. And, and, and in a lot of ways, his attitude towards Thomas is, why didn't you just trust the words of, of, of your, your fellow disciples that have told you that? Why would you have not thought that I could do this? And, and, and I don't know why Thomas wasn't there. I mean, Jesus probably orchestrated that. He, he was able to do that. But maybe there was a better blessing in Thomas for just believing, maybe a little bit different, or believing or trusting in the word. He before that, he if if you unpack all that, when the women came to the disciples and said Jesus has arisen, they didn't believe. And when Jesus came to them, he's like, Why didn't you believe? Because the women told. So there's this teasing or challenging that he does. But blessed are those who have seen and not have not seen and yet have believed. 
that's 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 us guys that's that's we haven't actually got to put our fingers like thomas in the hands of jesus but yet we still believe and jesus is saying um that we are essentially more blessed than thomas was if you just to keep that in context the last two verses right after that that john says it says now jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book what is that saying he said like he's still it's still bringing us back to that thomas scenario Thomas walked with Jesus. He was with Jesus in every different way, but he wasn't there when Jesus came back. All the apostles had walked with Jesus. He had said they were the audience that he most clearly told that in three days I'll rise. And, and, and no one was looking for Jesus to rise in three days. Everybody was shocked by it, but the apostles shouldn't have been shocked by it because if anyone would have got that message, it would have been them. But when the when the women came and told them they didn't believe, when Thomas wasn't there, he didn't believe. But what he's saying here is that 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 uh, Jesus did many other signs. There was a lot of other things he did um, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in your name. Um, and I just, as we open up this audience, and I know that's not really what the study is about, but as we open up this audience, I want us to be encouraged with what we have before us in Christ is awesome. You know, we don't have to in any way feel slighted. Because that's what Thomas was sort of feeling. Um, he was feeling like, you know, I'm not going to believe this or that. We have not been slighted. We have been given an, an amazing opportunity to be grafted in the kingdom building of God. We may not be laying the foundation, but whatever part, whatever role we're in, it is unbelievably significant, more significant than anything that we will do. So, Looking at verse 21, um, we'll start to unpack. Um, let me show, I, I went too far. I got can to I, go ahead. Can I inject one quick point? Uh, what Jesus, the word that Jesus used is that blessed are those that are that will believe and not see. And blessing is blessing. The, the definition of blessing is a gift from God. And, and we can't sometimes explain why we believe. But guess what? It's a blessing from God, not something we've done or thought or made up. Yeah. So we, you know, and, and that's part of it. He's bringing us to the tension that we're not going to know it all, that, that we are blessed to have enough to be convinced. And like when you say, like, sometimes we find that place where we know that we know something is true about God, but we struggle so hard to explain it. Um, I thought like when you read through John nine and you see the guy evolve about, he's like, I don't know. That was amazing. I, I was blind. Now I can see. I mean, I don't know what to say about it, but as he begins to go through the text, he begins to, to find the kind we say we find our legs. He kind of finds his words. He, he begins to better and better. You almost see an apologist blooming out of him 
right there in chapter nine. I think you see that a little bit with John the Baptist when they come challenging, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Who, who are you? And he don't really know who he is. He just knows that he's doing what the person that sent him to baptize is doing. And he's, so there is a, some learning curve on the fly that is going on, but you see John the Baptist get his, kind of like I say that you get your feet underneath you. He gets his words underneath him a little bit and he better and better learns to represent Christ. And so if we take this attitude that we may not know it all, but what we know is significant, then, you know, what's the scripture says? It says those who have, they do well with what they have will be given more. And that's the way our Christianity unfolds is as we are faithful with God, with God has entrusted it with us. We begin to get our words. We begin to get our, um, our truth a little bit more anchored and we can communicate it better. So in 21 to 26, this is what we see. It says, um, I'm, I'm looking at two two references, but um, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So two things that are addressed here in verse 21 is this oneness idea and this this uh, this phrase of of the world um, uh may believe that that you sent me um so let's look at that first one so we're gonna see this oneness a lot but but it says um in 21 that that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i am you that they may also be in us this is this is his goal this is his objective here um that there's this oneness and so when we start talking about love or knowing, um, and, and we'll get to that in a minute, but all of that is, is, is this image or this picture that Jesus is communicating as oneness. When he's praying, this is him praying. So when he's actually saying this, he's saying this to his father and he's talking about his apostles and, and in case this case, all the people that will believe because of their word, um, and and he's 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 so he's talking to his father and he's saying, I want them to be one with us. I'm calling them to be one with us, just as 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 you and I are one. And um I'm in you and they also in us. And so this is a foreign picture. This is something that's not of the world, it's not something that that in our love um perspective of the world we think about this. So I just want to point out, we'll get back to this idea because it'll be more fully communicated, but I just want to point out this last phrase that he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It also says that two verses down in 23, the exact same phrase, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And so this repeating of the phrase is kind of, if you take the time and look at it slowly, he's 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 communicating his agenda. So there's an agenda between him going back to God and he's going to say to be in the presence he once was in. There's an agenda of the apostles to protect them because they're in the world. He sent them out in the world. I'm leaving the world, but they're still in the world, protect them from the evil one. There's an agenda 
for the apostles that will the people that will believe because of uh, of their testimony because their word but there's also a perspective and an agenda for the world meaning all of those that are unbelievers that are current state unbelievers and he's saying in the, in this repeat of this phrase he's saying if if you if you tie it together he's saying that this oneness that that Christ has with the Father, that's within the Trinity, and they're bringing the apostles into it, and then they're going to bring the people that believe the words of the apostles into it. He's saying that that, in a sense, will create a light that will be a message to the world that um, so that the world may know that you sent me. Um, and 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 then the second time when it says it in that verse twenty twenty um, three. It says, so that the world made that know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So two things that that's on the agenda for the world to know that it be proclaimed for all the world is that Jesus Christ has been sent by God and that he loves his 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 disciples like crazy, like like more love than 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 the world can ever offer that's what's found in Christ. And so this, in a sense, is a light, a beacon, a lighthouse or a beacon to call the world to God. Um, so 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So we're still talking about oneness and, and this goal of oneness, but he's adding to this this the glory that you have given me i have given to them so we've seen him keep them with the name god gave we, we he's given them the word and that's changed them internally but now it says that he's giving them the glory now we'll have to come back and just look at glory a little bit but this is something he's giving them for the purpose of them becoming one part of the the process of them becoming one within the trinity being essentially being grafted in to the the nature of god um and 23 um i in them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me so all of this is coming together for this 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 glorifying exaltation of of all things that are wonderful about God in a sense um 24 father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world so try to unpack a few things here um, so first of all, let's just take the first phrase, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Um, I'll, I'll stop with that. Um, so if we go back to John 14, um, verses two and three, I believe, um, when we went through that passage, one of the things that I, I said was that that was a very comforting um, scripture for me. Let me um, let me read it if I can um, get to it real quick. So in 14, two to three, it says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take to you myself and where I am, you may be also. One of the ideas we talked about when we talked about that is how Jesus demonstrated that he was a good shepherd. We talked about a few pastors, how sometimes they said, God's calling me to this place or that place. And you were left without a pastor. And, and that was kind of a hard pill to swallow because now you got to find a new pastor. And what, what Jesus did when he left was very different than that kind of scenario because he was leaving the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what's interesting in this prayer 17, as you look at the love Jesus has for his, his, his apostles and then his disciples, when you look for the love that he has, he was a good shepherd. He's always been shepherding. If anything, since he's left, he's become a better shepherd than, than before through all of all the completed work that he's accomplished on the cross and the sending of the Holy Spirit. But let me get back to where we're at. Um, so um, let's see. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. And so this picture of that he has come to earth now, he, and we, we 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 dealt with a lot of that, but now he's going back to heaven. Um, all of that's here in this chapter, but um, he's still showing a heartbeat of caring for his apostles that I want them to be with me. Um, there's this transition that he gets to come, but they're staying in the world. And he says, protect them from the evil, evil one. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. And that's our life. When we come to know Christ, um, there's this season where we don't just come to know Christ and get zapped up to heaven. Um, we have a work that we have to do as a born again believer, um, as a new creation. There's a work that God does through us and being a vessel of being this lighthouse and this beacon of, of, of truth to the culture that we live in in present time and place. And so, here he's saying that ultimately I desire that let's see that also you have, that that they are with me where I am. But then he moves in to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Um, I talked to a few guys about this. Um, it's in the attributes of God that Steve Lawson did, but it's called the aseity of God. And we were just chatting and they were like, what is that? The aseity of God. And what the aseity of God is, is that before he created, he was completely full and whole in the Godhead, in the Trinity, that the love the son had for the father, the father had for the son and the Holy spirit, that that union was so complete that it never needed to create, that it created out of the sure um, pleasure um, and so the reason that's important is because sometimes we run into theology that that God has a, a, a hole in his heart if if you if you don't come to him. And and so when you start talking about before the foundation of the world, um, so like let me make sure I'm saying so he's talking about a glory that you have given him because you loved him before the foundation of the world. And then the one other verse, let me see if I find that real quick um, is up in John. Where, where is it at? I had it written here, but, but up in John 17, five, I believe if you go look there, 
just scroll up or, 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 or if you in a paper Bible, look up. But it says in 17.5, it says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So if you just take those first five verses, which uses glory a lot, he starts in 17.1 saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, which in the most part, that's specifically talking about the cross, the cross. But if you go to verse four, he says, I glorified you on the earth. And how did he glorify him on the earth? He says it here, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So when we talk about going to heaven, we're in one sense in the term of what we're looking at with glory here. When we think about going to heaven, we see ourselves as being in this fullness of God's glory, this fullness of his, of, of, of his presence, that it's not hindered by the things of this world, by the sin nature. We see ourselves getting a glorified body is, is one of the things that we can talk about, that we're not bound by the sin nature like we are. Paul says in Romans 7, this wretched body of sin, we, we shed that off. And so this is, is what he's talking about. He's come into this this sinful world. He's leaving out of the sinful world to go back. But what we see as heaven was before, in one sense, it was before all creation. And so Jesus knows that. And he's saying this awesome glory that was before creation that I was a part of with you, you know, that I'm ready to come back to that now. And when we're at our text today in verse 24, we are when he's addressing the glory and he's bringing it back into the equation he's saying i've come into the world i've met these apostles i've given them the word they've believed in the word i've kept them with the name that you've given me and they're in the world i'm leaving the world protect them from the enemy but but i want them to be with me and when they've laid their foundation and they've ran their, their race and they've done their work, I want them to be with me. But what I'm most excited when they be with me is that they're going to see the glory that was with you and I before the creation of the world. And they're going to be totally fulfilled. And, and I'll just say a little bit jazzed up about it. <laughs> they're going to have their ear. They're going to be grinning from ear to ear and you're not going to be able to wipe the smile, you know, smile off their face. And they're going to be crying at the same time. It's all going to be coming out and it's going to be glorious. And they're not going to be able to do nothing but say, holy, holy, holy is the lamb of God that was slain, you know? Um, and so anyway, here we are with glory in verse 24 from the foundation of the world. And I, I'll just finish these last two and we'll just open a discussion. Um, but he says, Oh, right, righteous father, even though the world does not know you. So, so the two key words in these last two verses is know and love. And he says, he said, and, and, and at this point he's talking about unbelievers when he's saying the world, Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. Now, 
that you have sent me could be just slided over. I mean, when we read what, okay, we know we have heard for thousands of years in all of our life that, that God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. So sometimes this idea of sent me it until you do a deep dive in John and realize how many times he uses it and how he strategically uses it. It just goes in one ear and out the other. But when he says this phrase, that you have sent me, he's saying it in conjunction with the fact the world doesn't know God, but I know you because I'm Jesus, not me, but but in the text we're reading, and I know I know you, and these know you. So he's pointing to a group of people that know God and know enough about God to know that Jesus has been sent by God. There's no question about it. There's no if, ands, and buts about it. So when people are deliberating, is Jesus from God? They don't know God. That is the, 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 the conclusion that he makes in John 8. But then he says in 26, I made known to them your name. He brings that name again. Why is the word important? Why is name important? Why is that Jesus was sent by God important? He just keeps bringing these breadcrumbs back and back and back again. And he said, I made to them, I made known to them your name. So they didn't know his name, which meant they didn't know him, but Jesus has made it known to them through the word, through the keeping of the, by giving, revealing the glory and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this oneness, this unity is not on its own. It's not just the theory. It's not just an idea. It's talking about the love. It's talking about the knowledge. It's talking about the glory. Like there's there's some tentacles to this. There's some roots to it. There's some meat to it. It's not just haphazardly. We just won. We just unity. And so I heard a, a saying, uh, uh, something that, that's really been birthing in my heart lately is when you are born again and you're created anew, there's some traits, there's some natures that are different about you. And a lot of times when we ask the question, is someone saved? We're not saved purely by the knowledge that's in our head. We're saved by being something new. We're born again. We're a new creation. And, and like we talked about early, earlier through John 9, and we talked about um, John the Baptist and kind of John 1 and how they had to get not their legs underneath them, but their words underneath them. And they had to better understand in the same way, the moment you are saved and born again, there's a DNA, there's, there's, I don't know if it's a DNA, but there's a change, an internal change, a real internal change in you. And just like that blind man got his eyes, you know, where he could see, and there was a change. He knew there was a change. I can see now. But what does that mean? Who changed me? Why, why did I get changed? What does this mean for my future? He didn't get all that figured out right away. John the Baptist, when he said, I'm just doing what the person that sent me, baptized, and when the Holy Spirit comes down on the one, that's the Lamb of God. You know, he's just living out what the instructions he had, and, and he's getting this. And so all of these words 
we come, as more we study the word, the more we pray, the more we worship one another, the more we get to know who we are as a new creation in Christ, we begin to better and better know the one that sent Jesus to die for our sins. And so this knowing, this loving, and and we are we are living in a day where where our world or our specific culture, America, is defining love in such a shallow way. They're really trying to make lust and 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 gratitude um what 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 gratitude I'm trying to think word, but just satisfy your fleshly desires. They're trying to call that love. They're trying to they're trying to hijack the word love and they're trying to to make it what they want it to be. And 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 I, I said it like this the other day is in a lot of ways about the last you, you've heard the saying um, I'm I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Well, a lot of ways the church of our generation is running away, running around like a chicken with his head cut off because of how it's defined in love. And so, not only is the culture trying to redefine love to be what it wants it to be, sometimes the church is redefining love in a way of what it wants to be. But what we're seeing about love here is that love is bigger and greater and more mighty and more expansive than our imaginations are currently seeing it as to be. Because he's talking about a love that was awesome before the foundation of the world. And when he humbled himself, and took on flesh and came and was incarnated in this world and this sinful world, some of that glory was something he couldn't partake up upon. But now that he's going back to be with the Father, he gets to be in it again. And he is excited about those that he's come to love in the world and he's brought out of the world. He's excited about them getting to see it. And you know what? They've got to see it. And you know what? We're going to get to see it. That as we read through this text, as we see this amazing prayer that he laid out before he went to the cross, there are a sense of we get to be a part of this, that, that we have heard his word. We've known his word. We've embraced his word. We're in the world. He's still praying for us that we're protected from the evil one and we're doing a mission and we're being a light and a beacon for the world so that they can know that he was sent, um, that Jesus was sent and that, that he's loved us and that they can be loved by him. If they turn to Jesus and when our, our journey ends, we'll, we'll go on and we will be united. And in that place that Jesus has been preparing for us, he will come back and he will bring us to himself. And so anyway, that was a long rant. <laughs> I didn't break it up, but, but Hey, this is the last part of 17. We'll get back to some usual stuff in 18, but John's book has been a lot of fun. And I hope you've enjoyed it and at least got some nuggets out of it. Um, so what do you guys think? You got it. You got the gift. <laughs> what, what? Dennis, I, th I, I think you're spot on with the, uh, with the, the definition of love. I, I almost biblical love to me is almost like a dying to self. And it seems like the more we as a culture 
shift away from that and what we call love. It's like you said, in a, in a sense, when it comes to man and woman, it's lust. Um, but it's, it's more than that. You know, I, I see it sometimes with the way parents raise kids. They say it, it's almost like, what can the kid do for them? And I, th- this is getting too deep anyway. It's, um, yeah, the more we shift away from God, the more we, the, the definition of love changes and becomes less about what we can do for somebody else or, or it's more or less what they can do for us. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, any, any beginning thoughts? No, I mean, everything, everything's good, but, you know, you know, Shane's talking about love and Jesus talks about love here, but, you know, that's, that's all through the scripture is that, uh, you know, God is love and um, the greatest commandment is love to watch your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the greatest is uh, others as yourself. So, um, yeah, just, you know, this is a great passage here, a great uh, set of verses that, uh, you know, truly all about us, all about those that hear the word in the future from that time, which is us. So he's speaking directly to us when he's uh, when we're reading these verses. So Some good stuff. So when you talk about love and, and what we we're just saying, I, I want to connect no in that, because if you look at those last verses in 25 to 26, um, the second part of 25, he says, I know you and these know you. And then he goes in, in the beginning of 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Anytime you look at the word no, it's always worth considering. And I just go back to, I guess it's in, in Genesis um, 4, but it says Adam knew his wife. Now, I always like to say that when we look at stages of knowledge, there are, I call it kid knowledge, specialized knowledge, and intimate knowledge. So a kid knowledge, if I ask um, a little young baby, child, toddler, is it raining outside or is it daytime or nighttime? They can understand that, just basic knowledge. But if I ask one of you what the color code for 24 is in the phone system, most of you wouldn't know because that's a specialized training for phone men. And, and Shane would have a scenario that he could say something in firefighter, you know, knowledge or all pharmacy that we wouldn't know, but all pharmacists would know or all firefighters would know. And so there's this sort of specialized knowledge. But when we talk about um, knowing about God in our head, but not in our heart, when we talk about this kind of knowing, we're talking about an intimate knowing. And so when I think it's unique when the Bible in Genesis 4 says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Well, there's no doubt in that sentence what that knowing means. And so that is where the connection between knowledge or some type of knowing is connected to love and intimacy. But it's also not connected to lust. We're not speaking when Adam knew his wife and she could see. We're not speaking about lust. We're not because there wouldn't be no conception in there. Like in our world, there would be contraceptions or to prevent conceiving or conception. Um, that would be lust. But Adam loved his 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 wife. So a lot of times when the scripture uses the word know, knowing God, to know God 
is to be intimate with God when God knows you. So, so sometimes you just need to catch that, that, that like, like I've seen people that like hate theology, they're theology haters or whatever. And, 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 you know, and they, they maybe have been burned by religion or whatever. Um, they get tired of the arguments that the mental arguments that people have in church life. But, but, but it's true that, 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 not you can't be saved by just knowing about Jesus in your head and not knowing him in your heart. That's a true statement. But that doesn't mean that everything in your head is bad. And so as we take information, truth and lies, and we are able to discern between them, we're able to be intimate and love the God of truth and not the God of lies. So if we go back to John 8 again, you have people that have a knowledge of what they're saying is God, which is actually a false God or the devil is the way Jesus says. Um, and then Jesus has a knowledge of the, of, of the truth of God. But this, this platform, uh, are, as Jesus has revealed as the church is, is, um, is the church, the church is built on truth, not on lies. And so we don't get to just turn our brain off as Christians and say, oh, Jesus is in my heart. I, you just should believe it because I'm right and you're wrong. You know, you don't get to do that. That's that's two year old, you know, on the playground talk. You have to be able to defend what you believe and you defend what you believe in the platform, you know, of knowledge. But what I'm getting at is some people can be hostile towards knowledge. They can be hostile towards theology. We don't need to be that. It is by knowing something about God that that's true that makes us love him more and more and more. The more we know about him that's true, we should love him. When, we, when we're learning something about God that's making us hate him, it's probably because it's about the devil and it's not about God. You know, um, so knowledge, true knowledge about God always draws someone to love them unless they love the devil and want to live in sin and that kind of thing, you know, but I just wanted to make that connection. Um, if I haven't ever made it before that anytime you're looking through the Bible and it's talking about knowing it's usually pretty consistent with intimacy and love, you know, um, so we didn't talk just, I guess the one other key thing, did anybody have any thoughts about glory or one or sent? I know we talked about love and no, um, but, but um, any of those things um, that's statement that stood out. Hey Dennis, what was that? Um, what was that $3 word you used earlier? The, the aseity of God, the aseity is how I say it, but I might be wrong. A, 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 S, E, I, T, Y. One guy okay. told me, he said, I thought Dennis just fat fingered the deity of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I um, he was confused by the question, but but the general idea of the deity is that in the tree at Trinity, everything was perfect. And and if he would have never created that that he didn't create out of a need within himself, he created out of the abundance of himself is a, a is the gist of the idea. So when you start hearing a pastor say, God needs you so bad, he's, he's just destitute, you know, without you, this kind of thing. That's, that's one of the things to think about. But I can't. Yeah, I was, I was, um, 
in this passage, uh, you you see you get a, a glimpse into the Trinity as well, and um, and why why the Trinity is is lot is logically necessary too. We we talked a lot about love, but unless love has an object to fix itself on, um, you know, it doesn't make sense. And so, for before the foundations of the world the father, the son and the spirit had this perfect love for one another. Um, and so you get these religions that don't subscribe to the Trinity, whether it's uh, Pentecostalism or Jehovah's witness or even Mormonism, where they believe Jesus was created. There was never from the foundation of the world, uh, the father fixing his love on the son. And so I, I see that that unity that it's talking about too, is really, um, ties into that concept of love and that love that was had between the Trinity before the foundation of the world. Sorry yeah. if it's a little loud on mine. Yes. So, so in one sense in what you're saying, so in the Trinity, there was a unity that was amazing. There was a love that was amazing. There was a knowledge that was amazing. There was a glory that was amazing. And all of that was perfect. And then it's just making itself known to the world. It creates the world and makes itself known to the world. And I mean, and that gives a different light on John 1 when he says he came into the world. You know, he talks about Jesus has created the world. But he said he came in the world and they did not know him. And that's what he's saying there. He's, he's using this language that the world doesn't know him. But these apostles, these disciples know him. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? I think um, I was looking at it. First John 5 speaks a, a lot about knowing and love. Um, it's, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. Everyone who believes in Jesus, it, that it, whoever believes in Jesus, that he is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And kind of like you said, and the intimacy of knowing you cannot, I don't think you can love without having the intimacy of knowing. Um, but again, this kind of what I was talking about, obeying his commandments is dying to self. I mean, you can't, um, it, it's not the flesh obviously wants to, disobey and do what we want to do and this you have to die to self to love and yeah anyway I'm, that, I'm was first, that was first john five you're saying huh That's yeah i was confused a little bit but uh but I, I, one other thing jeff said and i lost my train of thought but but i want to say about the trinity so jeff jeff made a statement i don't think of how exactly he said it he said the the logical i don't know if he said the logical necessity of the trinity um yes yeah, it's, it's uh it's logically necessary to have your love fixed on an object okay. uh so so in the trinity that love existed but my, my point my caveat that i wanted to add to what you said for us to realize because we talked about this a little bit earlier when we talked about being a new creation is the trinity is a logical necessity for the born again person it it it's it's you have to have the spirit of god in you and you have to have this knowledge that Jesus has revealed to you to understand the logical necessity of the Trinity. 
So when a born again person is talking to a to someone that is not saved, who is not born again, is not regenerated, they cannot discuss the logical necessity of the Trinity because it's not logically necessity to the unborn, you know, unregenerated person again. Now there is a gray area. Let's just throw like one is Pentecost out that don't believe in the Trinity. There is a gray area there where some of them may be saved and just bound up in bad theology. And so that's part of how it's fleshed out to a degree in knowledge. It, 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 what does, you know, you just, in a situation like that, you keep saying, what does the word of God say about that? And you just keep going to the word of God. So just like we, we've mentioned this a couple of times already, just like the blind man didn't fully know all the theological reper, repercussions of, of what had happened to him when he was um, blind, but he began to learn those things. In the same way, if you take a Trinity, Trinity believer with a oneness Pentecostal, if both of those people are safe and are willing to go to the word of God for the truth, I'm convinced that at the end, the oneness Pentecostal will recant his, his, um, if he's saved, he will recant his, his denial of the Trinity because he'll see it in tech and scripture and it'll be confirmed by the born again, new nature in him. Um, so he will be able to embrace Lord Dennis. I, I have, I have a good friend who's uh, he's at a oneness church and he's, he's wrestling with this idea right now. And um, you know, looking at, at modalism and the true nature of the Trinity and, and you know, the, the, he was asking, well, why, why is this important? Why does it matter? Why, you know, why can't he, you know, exist and manifest himself differently. And, and I told him, you know, it's about the eternal sacrifice of God, his very nature, why that's important um, to cover or to, to take away sins, to be an atonement for sins. Um, he, he had to have been existing since the foundation of the world in order for that eternal sacrifice to be applied to us. Yeah. But see that logic, you know, so if he's wrestling with it, that that can mean that he's born again and the Holy Spirit's in him, and that's what's giving him not rest. But but if if the battle's just in the in the carnal mind, um, you know, there, there there's a lot like all this text that we just read in chapter seventeen, where the he says the father did this and the son did this and the father did this, without having the Spirit of God inside of you. You can't understand that because if we literally take it as the father and, and we don't put this oneness that we're focusing on here, if we don't see that unity and that, that they're, they're three in one and we don't see that Trinity concept because we're actually putting a presupposition on the way we're reading this scripture and we're not by rule going by the literal logical steps because if the scripture says the father did this for the son and the son did this for the father, then that's two people, you know? And then if you put the Holy spirit, that's three people. So this idea that we bring it as one is a, a um, I, how do I say that? I can't say those big words, but it's a, it's a presupposition. It's something we bring. It's a, it's a theory a theology that we bring to the text. But the reason we stand on it is because it was, it was, um, it was brought, it was put in us when we were born again. And we, and for us to deny it, we would be denying, you know, ourselves. And so that's how the father teaches us 
his word teaches us is the truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in a minimum, when you talk about the oneness person you that denies the Trinity or anybody for that nature, you have to question the the way the Holy Spirit is working in them. And the only way to really flesh that out is by going back is to continue to ask the tough questions and continue to look for those answers in the scripture. Um, all right. I know we're at in a time. Any final thoughts? Let's see. Paul might've had to slip off. His screen went off. Any final thoughts, Jeff? Shane? Mr. Wayne? No, I'm good. And Paul, I'm assuming. No. Okay. All right, Mr. Hey, I'm still here. I gotta, I gotta go though. But yeah, it's, uh, it's too much, too much to say right now. So we'll just talk about it more later. But yeah. All right. I'll we see you. Have a great week. We're gonna do a free week next week. So we'll, you know, just kind of have a little um, before we transition into team. Um, so we'll just have a little kind of simple, simple conversation. Um, Shane, you want to close this in prayer? Yep. Father God, again, thank you for um, just just joining these men together and letting us feast on your word. Lord, I pray that it puts uh, it puts that seed on our heart and uh, that we just push forward to uh, loving and knowing you in an intimate way, Lord. And, and not only us, but that we could uh, share that love um, and intimacy with others, Lord, and Love them as your as your word calls us to. Anybody that loves you, Lord, is we're we're called to love them. So, Father, I pray that we, as we go about uh, to church today, Lord, that uh, we do in fact uh, love and, and glorify your name and all that you have done and continue to do in our lives, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a great day. Y'all. Y'all as well. Have a great week.